Uh, once more, a very good morning to you. I'm going to have a second Bible reading today. I'm going to turn your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3, please. This is written by the Apostle Paul, actually, while he's in, in jail. Uh, and he's arrived to a church in Ephesus where Timothy is. And particularly verse 11 talks about the significance of the local church. Look at chapter 3 and verse 7. He speaks of the gospel. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for every day. It is a day of where you are calling out to the world to come back to you. That, Father, you have a purpose, an eternal purpose in this world, and you've called us into that purpose. Father, you've called me to teach your people. Please help me to teach them faithfully who you are and what you desire and what you desire of us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you've heard of a story of three men who were working on a stone pile at a construction site. A curious passerby was eager to discover what was going on. He asked the first worker, what are you doing? Chiseling stone, he replied. A bit of a lame response. He's looking for a better answer. So he asked the second work on the pile of rocks. What are you doing? He said, I'm earning a living. Still not quite what he was after. So he had one more person to ask. He was slaving away on this construction site, on this pile of rocks. Sir, what are you doing? He dropped his sledgehammer. He stood erect. The glee in his eye, he says, I am building a great cathedral. Three men, all doing the same job, but only one of them was able to see how his role would fit into the larger scheme and the larger picture of things. Have you ever felt that you are here on earth for something bigger than the mundane? something more important. 
that you see yourself on this rock pile of life, slaving away, and all you can see is, I'm earning a living. All you can see is work. Is there a bigger picture to which my life and your life fits in? Do you have a nagging feeling that you are dissatisfied with the present world? You say to yourself, there has to be more to life than just hard work. Hard work that's gone unappreciated. You've toiled for endless hours only to be forgotten. Today, we are seeking God's face to find out what is our purpose in life. What are we here for? Is it just work? Is it just the mundane? Or is there something bigger? Is there a cathedral that which God is working on and we are part of that cathedral building, so to speak? We spent the last few weeks uh, a series on Cornerstone, our church and its values. And we said in the first week, it was many weeks ago now, at our Converge conference, that one of the most important things for us as a church is we are compelled by the gospel. That means that because Jesus loved us and died for us, that in our place and by faith we are reconciled to God, because of Him, we now live our lives for Him. We're compelled by the cross. Our second value was that we are servants. Uh, Jesus loved us by, and served us by dying upon the cross. And that is the model of our life, that we are servant-hearted people. The third value we spoke about is that we are disciples, that we are people who learn about Jesus, that we are people who uh, become more like Jesus, we are people that serve Jesus, that we are disciples of Jesus. And this we're talking about that we are a church that is on mission. We are a church that thinks about mission. Now, what is mission? What does it mean? Mission is a term that helps people to understand the purpose for an organisation. Uh, it tends to be associated with real fire and a real zeal in that organisation or in that person. For example, a person's mission in life might be to rid the world of a certain disease. Their mission in life might be to visit every major city in the world, every good snowfield in the world. A person's mission might simply be live a quiet and simple life. And so we get the term, there is a man or a woman on mission. It reflects a person with a certain zeal and is committed to that. Organisations have a mission and so do individuals, like McDonald's. I'm not sure what their uh, mission statement is. I know what it's not. I know it's not to to make the, the world a healthier place. They might say that. What's their mission? Mission is to make money for their owners. That's their mission. Again, speaking generally, everybody has a mission. Whether you know it or not, you have a purpose in life and you're living it out today, whether you're aware of it or not. What about God? Is, does He have a mission? Or is he just somewhere so distant, so uninvolved that he just doesn't care? Or is he involved 
and He's involved in such a way that it affects all our lives? The answer is yes, He does have a mission, He does have a purpose. And maybe the easiest way to describe that purpose is if I looked at the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible, okay? So the first book of the Bible speaks about God creating humanity and living with humanity and spending time with humanity. And the last book of the Bible is God again comforting humanity, wiping away the tears from their eyes and once more a relation between God and His creation. And everything in between is the process to get from God with humanity, the mess that we have made, that's us, the mess that we have made that's cut us off from God, to a point where God is once more in the midst, in a very real way in humanity. That is God's purpose, to share His eternal glory with His creation. Genesis 1 and 2 He's doing it. Genesis 3, we make a mess of it. Revelation, and last book, God is there again. That's the quickest way that I can share with you what God is doing in the world. But that's functionally, that's just quite dry, that's like an agenda. And so I asked Liam to read Luke chapter 15 for us, because there is not just God's agenda... But God's very heart, okay, I want you to see the passion that God has for His mission, His agenda. It's the story of a shepherd, a shepherd who uh, loses, loses one sheep. And Jesus makes his comments to a bunch of religious leaders, leaders in Judaism who are not happy with Jesus. Why? Because he's hanging out with sinners. He's spending time with thieves. He's spending time with assassins. He's spending time with prostitutes. He's spending time with the everyday person who is lost from God. And the religious leaders can't work out why Jesus is not hanging out with them. So he tells them this story. Let me read it to you again. Verse 1. Now, tax collectors... And sinners were gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The story of a shepherd and the sheep. And make no mistake... They understood the imagery of the Old Testament. God is shepherd, Israel is the sheep. They weren't aware of that. The story talks about the man who has a hundred of them. And in economic terms, he's lost one sheep. You would not leave 99 to find one. That makes bad economic sense, doesn't it? Because the 99 are in open country. They are vulnerable. But he does that. He leaves the 99 and seeks and finds the one sheep. Look at what it says when he finds the sheep. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He calls his friends, he calls his neighbours together, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. He spent time to find the sheep. He doesn't chastise it and say, bad sheep, don't do it again. 
He carries the sheep on his shoulders so it doesn't escape and he brings it back to the fold and the shepherd has a party. He's so happy that he's found the lost sheep. He says, my neighbours, my friends, my family come together. At this point, this is where I change. At this point, I say, if this shepherd was Greek, I know what he would have done. He would have brought the sheep back He would have called his friends and family over. He would have said, I've caught that nasty sheep. He's on the spit. Come and eat with me. And if you're vegetarian, it doesn't matter. We have lamb, okay? (laughs) Not so this shepherd. He brings it back and he says to his friends and family, come round and celebrate with me. Do you hear what it said in verse 7 though? where Jesus tells us what this story means. It says this, listen carefully, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. There is great rejoicing in heaven. What does that tell you about God? Man tells us many things, but his heart is for mission. His heart, he rejoices, and all of the universe rejoices when one person, one person, when Jesus approaches them, confesses, I've stuffed up, I want to make right with you, God. And the universe erupts in applause and praise and celebration. Because that is what brings joy to the heart of God. One person, just one person, who says, I've stuffed up God. That is the heart of our God. It's not just a function or a duty of God to bring people back to Himself. It is the very heart of God to restore people back to Himself that He would rejoice And all of the heavens rejoice. That is the gracious, kind, patient and generous heart of God. This is the mission of God. To seek and save the lost. This is what the Bible calls the gospel. The good news. In Jesus, sinners can have complete and utter change by the power of God. Sinners can be completely and utterly forgiven today so that when they come to the presence of God, hallelujah, God says, you are my child, you are forgiven. 100%. 100%. And it's all because of the cross, the crucifixion that Paul was delighted to preach. What he calls in this passage, the gospel, he calls it the unsearchable riches of God, he, of Christ, he calls it the manifold wisdom of God. This is God's mission. It is based on the gospel of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And he wants everybody to know that story because Christ says, Come to me by faith and trust only. Faith, and you are my child forever. This is the mission of God. How does God go about this? We've just said He goes about it through the preaching of the gospel. And He directs the church to preach that gospel. So how does God go about this? Two points. He directs the church, 
and He displays the church, okay? He directs the church. So, what is the mission of the church? For those cynics out there, it is not to make money, though I guess there's a number of churches that do that. The mission of the church is not to grow numbers, is not to be nice. The mission of the church, as we heard last week, is to join God in His mission to make disciples of all nations. Matthew, a passage you may be familiar with, Matthew 28 verse 19 says this, this is the resurrected Jesus who speaks to His disciples. It says, "Go therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is what God directs the church to do, the command to go and make disciples. We spoke about this last week. If you are a Christian, then you are a disciple. There is no distinction there. They are synonymous. To be a Christian means you are a disciple. And if you're a disciple, then you're caught up in the purposes of God that is found in Jesus. And He directs you and directs your life today, and He says to you, go and make disciples. Not just live out a a good moral life, but in your going, it says, whatever you do, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're playing, whatever you might be doing, in your going, this is the command, and the word going is connected to the command, in your going, make disciples, one phrase. Not one command and as you go, as you live, as you breathe, as you work, as you sing, your whole purpose in life is to make disciples because you are a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus, in your going. You don't need a passport to be a missionary. It is in your going. So the question then becomes, naturally, do you see your life as a part of God's mission? Or do you see God as a part of your mission, your purpose in life? In other words, in the universal space of your life, are you the sun and is God the earth that's supposed to go around your life? Or have you understood what repentance really means? Repentance really means, ah, God, you are the centre, I'll start rotating around you. That's what repentance is. Many of us have that back to front. Many of us has God as our servant, to give me what I want in life. No, no, as a Christian, your first words are, Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, your will be done. And so we say, Lord, what is your will, Lord? Lord of the will, the will of the Lord is to seek and save the lost. And He's going to do that by directing the church to make disciples of all nations. Did you notice that? All nations. Not just Jews, not just Greeks, not just Italians or Chinese or Philippines, Arabs, New Zealanders, Tasmanians, doesn't matter. All nations are to come to Jesus. That is the only true meaning in life, the only true purpose by which we are made, it is the only purpose which you will find satisfying. 
was watching uh, The Voice Blinds uh, last night as one of the repeats, and uh, there was a man that was on there, and um, it's a happy, sad type thing, and he's 76 years old, and he's been singing since the age of two. And when he was asked, uh, what are you doing here on, on The Voice? He'd recently overcame some cancer. He says, I just want to be recognised. Only recognised, 76 years old. It was a beautiful thing. He beautifully sang beautifully and got a standing ovation. It was a beautiful thing. But the sad thing for me when I saw this man is 76 years old and he doesn't understand his purpose for life. He thinks his purpose is to be recognised as a singer. And he was recognised that night twice. However, is that satisfying? No, it's, it can't be satisfying. The only way you're going to have that sense of satisfaction, that sense of fulfillment, that sense of importance, the sense of purpose, is not if you have your life so enslaved to your own preferred way of living. It's when you repent and put your life in God's hands that God will show you how you fit and find your purpose in the eternal schemes of God and life. That's what God says. And so if you are in Christ, if you're a disciple, stick to it. Go in your going. Whatever you do, make disciples of all nations. That is simply put, share your life and Jesus with everyone you meet. Wisely, quietly, humbly, lovingly, sharing your life and the gospel of Jesus. God not only directs the church as an outward push into all nations, okay, everybody goes out, but there's a sense in which God displays the church. The church is to shine out into the world. So chapter 3 in verse 10, look at what it says. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers, authority in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ. Hear what it's saying? Hear what it said? What is God's intent? It says there, this is what God's purpose is, God's mission, God's intent. And it tells us in verse 11 that his intent is already accomplished in Jesus. It's already done. He's not doing it. It is done in Jesus. And it's for the church to display itself as the mission of God. That's what it says. His intent, through the church, both locally and universally, through the church, God is speaking and saying something to the world. The church is to be shining, the church is on display. It's to shine brightly for the purposes of God. What is His church displaying? It is displaying a forgiven people, a people who are joined together for God and joined together for mission, a people who are joined together to care and love one another. And it is to be a church that is made up of all nations. This is extremely important. 
The church has to be, I think by nature, multicultural, multi-ethnic and multi-generational. If it is display the will of God, the mission of God, bringing all nations together in one place under His rule, then we as a church must be multi-ethnic. We must be multi-generational because that way we display what God is doing in the world. When a church becomes national, when a church becomes national or ethnic, it fails to display the purpose of God. And it actually kills the church. Literally does. Because the culture takes over the gospel. When you have the Church of England, it's about being English. When you have the Russian Orthodox, the Roman Catholic, when a church becomes national, it undermines the purposes of God. Because the purpose of God is that we might display something that the world cannot do. The world, all its attempts in the United Nations, all its attempts in multiculturalism, in the end, does not combine ethnicity. We have a multicultural society, yeah, but they are pockets, aren't they? They don't mix together. And the purpose of God is he breaks down national boundaries. He breaks down cultural boundaries. And he says, you know what? Culture is not one, God is one. And we submit to him. And we work within our cultures and appreciate each other's cultures together. And that way we display the purposes of God. A forgiven people, a loving people, a multi-ethnic people, a multi-generational people who get on because of the gospel. We love one another because he first loved us. In conclude, if we had to be the church of God, we need to be on mission with God. We need to take direction from God. And we need to display the purposes of God. Here at Cornerstone, we don't just do mission, we are missional. It's not just one category of our existence, it is the reason why we exist. We exist to be mission, to declare to the world the wonderful riches of Jesus, to tell the world that God is seeking to save them through faith in Christ, that only by faith can all nations come. We do it formally, as a church, we support overseas mission. 20 years ago, it was a vision of the church, or the session to start a Bible college up in a third world country, not just anywhere, but strategically. So in Thailand, the James O'Fraser Centre was a place where disciples are being made and going out into all the world. Praise God for that. Shine, what we're doing today is a large part of being able to financially support them. There are two families and 30-odd students who live on campus. Shine this year will go towards the translation of God's epistle to Japanese and support more planning of churches in Japan. Tomorrow, I'll be going to Gilgandra. I'll be going to Gilgandra to meet up with an Indigenous pastor. His name's Henry. Henry is thinking about moving to Kempsey to embed himself to take advantage of our mission there every year in Kempsey Bible Club. He came to Kempsey last year and the Lord's convicted him that maybe he should be a part of it. And so we're still going to try and support him in that mission to Kempsey. 
However, if you think the mission is just out there, you are mistaken. Here at Cornerstone Concord, we are a satellite church. That means we have people come from all suburbs and come and join us. However, we want to be a satellite church that has a local impact. God has placed us in this place for His purpose. Therefore, it is our job, along with other evangelical churches, to ensure that the message of the gospel goes to every person in this suburb. That's our job. Every person. God has placed us here for a purpose. I met with a few congregation members on Friday night to discuss one way in which we could impact this local area. It's what I said to them, and I'm going to say it to you. I want our involvement in this local area to be so active that we become a part of the furniture of this place. And so, we're going to start a new ministry called The Furniture. Okay? The Furniture. And it's about the way in which we can reach out into our community. We'll be part of the furniture of this community that everyone will know that there is an authentic Christian church that has a huge servant heart. There is an authentic Christian church that teaches about Jesus and His gospel, an authentic Christian church that cares for all people, irrespective of economics, of education, of ethnicity, of ability, will care for all that God brings into our midst. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, in your going... Whatever you're doing, work, play, live, God has placed you in the midst of unbelievers that you might share your life and the gospel with them. The result? The church. A bunch of sinners who have been transformed by the love and the grace of God. People, all nations, all economics, all backgrounds, all moral backgrounds, Jesus as our Lord and display the gospel to the world. God's on mission, He directs us and He displays us. Let us pray. Father, You are the power behind mission. You are the one who takes Your Word and transforms of lives one by one, that you are the God who seeks to save the lost. Father, direct us in your mission to make disciples of all people and display your glory through us as we gather a people of all nations for Christ's sake. Amen. Um, these are just great lines.